Day two of the Rush experiment with Parker Thune sitting in for Tyler McComas. And day two of Baker Mayfield drama. And oh boy, it is getting dramatic. Man. Don't you love a good drama-filled story with uh, opposing sides squaring off through statements released to the media? Isn't there something just poetic about that? Oh, man. This is getting juicy, Teddy Lehman. This is getting juicy right here. Bring me and everyone else up to speed. Okay. So, it begins... About uh, let me let me get let me get you an exact timestamp. Okay, thirty minutes ago precisely, Adam Schefter reports that Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield has requested a trade. Twenty four minutes ago, Jake Trotter, he of the former Oklahoma beat fame, reports that the Browns have told Baker Mayfield's camp. They are not accommodating his request. Hmm. 28 minutes ago, so I guess, uh, no, excuse me, 14 minutes ago, Adam Schefter tweets once again and says, Baker Mayfield just told ESPN, it's in the mutual interest of both sides for us to move on. The relationship is too far gone to mend. Hmm. And that is where things stand right now. Now... It was also reported by ESPN's Josina Anderson that the Seahawks have engaged in preliminary conversations about potentially acquiring Baker Mayfield. Mm -hmm. So this is officially the end, and we talked about it yesterday. This is not unexpected, the way that this has all unfolded. But the Browns messed around and found out with Baker Mayfield. They came up short on Deshaun Watson, all the reports this morning, indicated that the Browns were told by Deshaun Watson's agent that they were off the table, and now they have alienated Mm. their starting quarterback and pissed Mayfield off to the point that he decided it was time to ship out of town. Wow. Well, uh, leaves the situation in a fascinating spot. It looks like the Browns are going to be forced into a position to uh, to have to trade Baker Mayfield. If not, I, I, I don't know what their other option is aside from not trading him, keeping him there, and forcing him to play. And if he doesn't fine him for not showing up for all of the mandatory practices and such, fine him to the, um, you know, the – the largest degree that they can and you just kind of see where that thing ends up or they say, well, looks like we put ourselves in this spot and we've got no choice but to trade and we'll trade and see if we can dig out of it. Um, you know, I, I was talking it was before all this stuff came down and I, I was talking in the other room with Perry, the sales guy. He said, what would you do if you're a baker? I said, well, I'd request a trade, and if they didn't do that, I'd show up, I'd practice, and <laughs> exactly the first time they snapped me the ball in shotgun formation, I'd punt it and walk off the field. That's what I would do <laughs> if I was Baker Mayfield. So, um, I, I don't know. This whole situation is crazy, and 
there's there's Baker fans and there's Baker haters out there. But here's the thing. Cleveland took the preemptive strike by by n- number 1 if they pursue Deshaun Watson right, that is that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to find a way to get the best players there for the organization. Sure. I've got no problem with that. But the preemptive strike, the ICBM released uh, that said they want an adult in the quarterback room. Yeah, that was the moment where if you're, if you're Baker Mayfield, you're like, okay, this is it. I'm out. Yeah. Once you said something like that for no reason, no professional reason, it it just lit everything on fire, and here we are. Your quarterback is – you're not in on the Deshaun Watson situation – you are not in on the Baker Mayfield situation and you've got to salvage some type of trade. And frankly, I, I don't know. Like Seattle has engaged. I think, I think Seattle would be a good spot for Baker. Um, there's not going to be a whole lot of, I, I don't think, of trade opportunities. Here's the problem with Cleveland. They're playing a poker game. When everyone at the table knows what they hold, right? Exactly. And they hold a quarterback that is not playing there under any circumstances, which means the terms of the trade are going to be pretty ugly exactly. you for just, Cleveland. You just tanked Baker's trade value yeah. by coming out yesterday and whatever team representative passed along that comment to Chris Morton right. saying that you're looking for an adult at quarterback. You just guaranteed that whatever you get in return for Baker Mayfield – isn't going to be what you would have gotten 48 yep. hours ago if you traded him. And Baker doesn't care. He's got 18 million bucks he's going to earn this year. It doesn't affect him at all. But Cleveland, it, I'm sure Seattle's engaged um, Cleveland in trade talks by offering up three practice squad players for Baker Mayfield right now. Like That's where I would start negotiations if I was a team on the other side trying to acquire Baker Mayfield services because I know that Cleveland has an asset that they cannot use. They can't use it. It's not going to it's not going to work. It's not going to he's not going to play for Cleveland, so they have no choice but to take something at some point and that something is not going to start off with some great trade opportunity for him. It's as you said tanked. And what do you think? What do you think the Browns are accomplishing right now by saying, "No, we're not going to trade you"? Like now, at this point, you've just dug your heels in. And now, if Baker Mayfield didn't want to play for you before, he certainly doesn't want to play for you anymore. He's like, "You're not even going to act in good faith to give me a better situation after you already acted in bad faith by pursuing Deshaun Watson after you told me I was your guy." Here's their only opportunity: long-term contract, right? If if you want to mend things, money talks. All right. If if you want to make sure that Baker Mayfield's your quarterback, Baker Mayfield ain't playing until you offer up uh, an extension with a very very large amount of guaranteed money front loaded in it and handed over on signing of the contract. That's the position you've put yourself in. I don't know who did it. I don't know who the who the, the person at Cleveland is, in which this is the funny thing about the whole situation. 
Baker Mayfield, you know, puts out the statement, and some people are like critical of him putting out the statement. Like, why would he do that at that point? And you know, Cleveland has shown that, and, and it's not just in this situation. It it goes back as far as you want to go back. That the problem isn't Baker Mayfield. The problem is the Cleveland Browns. Okay. Baker Mayfield, he has his rough edges. There's no doubt about that. A lot of people, myself included, that's that's part of the reason why I enjoy watching him is because he's not the most perfect and polished. There's there's some drama there. There's some entertainment value there. But Cleveland, they they started this whole mess and it's going to cost them dearly. And they have a long history of of screw-ups from ownership down. Like This is par for the course for management for the Cleveland Browns. And they're most likely going to end up with a situation with, I, I don't even know who's going to be. The Case Keenum experiment? Which I think Case Keenum is a fine quarterback, but... It, you're not you're not going to accomplish anything with Case Keenum. Case Keenum, I think, is the ultimate get you through a year type of guy. Competitive, he can make the throws. You know, he he doesn't just stick out like a sore thumb. He can he can manage and, and maintain your offense. You're not going to win uh, anything of note, but you can put out a good product. That's what Case Keenum's going to do, and. I would be shocked if they end up with anyone that's much better value than Case Keenum. It's mind-boggling to me. Mind-boggling how poorly this has all been managed from the Cleveland end. Because the, the first misstep was telling Baker that he was your quarterback going forward. Because if he wasn't, just don't say that. Like right. You don't have to commit to the guy. All you have to do is not tell him that he's going to be your starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. By doing that, like you essentially, even if your intent wasn't to quote unquote commit to him heading into 2022, you created the expectation that he was going to be taking the snaps for your franchise. Right. Then you go out and you pursue Deshaun Watson. And <laughs> here's here's the here's the next misstep they made was letting word get out that they were pursuing Deshaun Watson. Because as I said from the get-go, Teddy, if you want to move on from Baker Mayfield, given the long and rich history of ineptitude that your organization has endured at the quarterback position, you have to make absolutely certain you have an upgrade lockdown before you move on from Baker Mayfield. Right. The Browns got ahead of themselves, figured, okay, well, we're going to get Deshaun Watson. Here we go. We can uh, we can burn the bridge with Baker now, and then they got caught with their pants down when they didn't end up with Deshaun Watson. Right, and now they have a quarterback who's pissed off. Now they have no clear answer as to who the next quarterback is going to be once the quarterback that they have right now ultimately jettisons from Cleveland, and they're digging their heels in now and saying, "No, we're not going to trade you. You have no leverage here if you're Cleveland." Well. I, I guess here's the only, as I, as I sit here and look at it, the only out they have is the NFL draft. 
And I think they pick, is it 13 or 15-ish? Uh, 13. Cleveland Browns pick 13. Um, with, with the Russell Wilson situation from Seattle and now the Baker Mayfield situation, the the quarterback draft uh that whole thing just got really interesting. Was a down year for NFL draft, like or for quarterbacks? We didn't think there was going to be many fireworks. All of a sudden, that that's starting to look a little bit different now, isn't it? <sighs> now, 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 there are these reports coming out too, as of like twenty minutes ago, that the Colts are interested in Jameis Winston. So, as we had speculated yesterday the interest from the Colts end appeared to be a lot more fan-driven than representative-driven. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't know how the Browns get out of this, man. I don't know how they get out of it and end up better off than they were before. Flyer on a draft, that's it? That's it. Like, to me, that is kind of your one out, and even then, there's a lot more uncertainty in your organization post-Baker Mayfield than there was beforehand. Because at the very least, with Baker Mayfield, you knew you had a middle-of-the-road NFL quarterback. Right. And sure, I, I, I certainly understand, as you mentioned right off the top, I certainly understand wanting to upgrade. Because it is not often that a guy as good as Deshaun Watson hits the market. And so, if he is out there on the market, you do your due diligence as an organization to try and acquire him. But... One thing the Cleveland Browns had not had since Derek Anderson in 2007 was a middle-of-the-road NFL quarterback. Mm -hmm. And maybe you end up with Jimmy Garoppolo, or maybe you take a flyer on a quarterback and Kenny Pickett or somebody like that turns out to be a serviceable option at the quarterback position. That's that's about what you got. Unless um, Cleveland really likes Drew Locke, you know? Which I doubt that's the case. That's this is just I I I never figured that we were going to be having this conversation in the year twenty twenty two. I kind of I I guess I should have because the Browns are the Browns, but if only for a brief moment in time, it almost almost looked like the Browns had everything together organizationally. Mm. Finally, and another thing that we haven't really mentioned is that. Baker Mayfield has played under four head coaches and three offensive coordinators in right. four years. Yeah. Why why is no one talking about that? Why is no one giving him any semblance of a pass for all the change that he has had to endure within that organization? What, two GMs? It's just been constant, yeah. constant turnover at every level. Constant turnover at every level. And not to mention where they were before Baker Mayfield got there. Now – you know, one of the things with Cleveland is they benefited from being so bad for so long. Like, there are some really good draft picks on that team. And they did the smart thing, and they loaded up on draft picks, right. too. Yeah, there, there's some really good guys there that they that they hit out of the park on the draft, offensively, defensively. They've got a, a good group of players. But as soon as it all starts to come together a little bit, and everyone – Everyone wants to start to claim credit for why it is where it is. The whole thing falls apart. They put the cart ahead of the horse, 
and start to say the one thing we're missing here is quarterback. Let's go out and let's throw all our cards on the table and, and try and bring in Deshaun Watson. And I'm sure the meeting went really well in their opinion, right? I'm <laughs> it sure, always does. I'm There's sure Deshaun never been a bad Watson meeting. was sitting there saying, oh, yeah, yeah, man, that's great. Yes, yeah, man, you guys have done a great job here. This is, wow, um, amazing. What a presentation. I appreciate it, fellas. We'll, we'll be in touch for sure. And then he got into the private jet with his, his agent and said, nah, man, I just I don't see myself in Cleveland. Right, and then, and then, whoever on Cleveland's staff, administration, organization walks out there with their chest puffed out and tells Chris Mortensen, "Yeah, we Ah, just—that's an adult right there." We figured we wanted an adult in the room, so uh, yep, we uh, we pursued Deshaun Watson. It's gonna be it's gonna be big time for us. Bomb dropped. You remember the haul that the Browns got a couple years back for Brock Osweiler? No, I don't. I think I it what I'm pretty sure it was the Browns that brought him in and then just flipped him for a ridiculous amount of draft capital. Mm-hmm. And that was the moment I was like, okay, may, maybe, maybe this organization knows what they're doing. But the Browns just keep on Brownsing. Man. Speaking you of can, uh, Osweiler, I don't know what he's doing, but can he throw a football? They may need him back. Yeah, he he may be one of the one or or Kaepernick. Kaepernick's posting Kaepernick, all these videos go. on social media over the last few weeks of him throwing. Kaepernick out there. Uh, Take the Kaepernick plunge. Letting it fly. Let's go. I love this tweet, man. Browns tried to commit to the side chick and lost their main comedy. <laughs> Yep, that's right. All right, quick timeout, opening timeout. Hit us on the text line, 651-3439, Air Comfort Solutions text line. We'll be back. Uh-oh, Teddy Lehman. Uh-oh, Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson to Atlanta, question mark? Kyle Pitts just tweeted, it's about to get spicy in Atlanta, and then promptly deleted it. Everybody's freaking out on Twitter about that. So, hey, maybe hmm. Matt Ryan's on the market here within the next couple of days for Cleveland. Wow. How about that? The dominoes keep on falling. A lot of movement going on out there. Lots of movement. Um, And what's crazy is you got lots of movement with, with a guy like Deshaun Watson who no one will deny is a spectacular football player but also has his own set of issues going on there, right? That who knows uh, what the results could be. A lot of people still think some type of NFL suspension forthcoming for Deshaun Watson. Don't know what that is. Don't know if that's true. It just tends to be an opinion that's floating around out there. I'm I'm not even sure what, uh, as at the moment, what grounds that would be on considering they're, they're, they're in a, a civil situation, but... Nonetheless, a lot of people still think that that's going to be the case. Um, so, I, I, imagine a scenario in which Deshaun Watson goes to Atlanta. Atlanta offers up Matt Ryan in some trade to somewhere. Tons of excitement. Everything is looking good for Atlanta. They've offloaded Matty Ice to, who knows, maybe Cleveland. 
I don't know where Baker ends up. And then, lo and behold, uh, a reluctant victim comes forward on Deshaun Watson with more, um, you know, evidence or whatever. And you, like, it's Atlanta has made this massive gamble with all of this backstory, and they have no quarterback. It's crazy. There's a lot on the line right now for a lot of teams. This this is the adult that the Browns wanted, Teddy. <laughs> That's that, right. The adult they wanted is a guy whose career could end at any given moment right. if these sexual assault allegations keep piling up. But that's right. Regardless. By the way, that that's another thing that doesn't make sense to me in all of this is the fact that the Browns all of a sudden are saying they're not going to accommodate Baker's trade request. Okay, so th- so they're all of a sudden okay with a child at quarterback. Right. They're suddenly reversing course on that whole philosophy? Well, they're going to reverse course. My guess is they're going to wait. At, you know, as as the draft gets closer and teams get more and more um, antsy, I guess is the word, about what's going to happen in the draft and can they get something beforehand and – offload picks or acquire picks or whatever it may be like that's the only thing that they have going for them right now is the looming NFL draft and maybe there are some I I think there's a couple of uh, good quarterbacks out there I really love the kid from Liberty I think he is a stud yeah Malik Willis I think could be all things considered the best QB in this draft Mm -hmm. I don't know how much that I, I don't know how much weight that carries because it is a weak quarterback draft. But I agree. If there is if there is a guy that has long term potential as an NFL starter, I do think it's Malik Willis. But you're also taking a guy that played at Liberty, right? Uh, and I don't mean to slander Liberty, but you don't have a lot of a lot of. Um, top competition opportunities to really evaluate what he looks like with the best of the best, you know, and I know he's done the combine and was he at the senior bowl? Malik Willis. Yes, he was. Yeah. So you you do have some evaluation points on him, but is it enough to ditch your guy that uh, led you to a playoff victory and you're going to reset and start all over? Maybe that's the case. I don't know, but it's just they they've put themselves in a in a really tough situation. So, Air Cover Solutions text line, one listener says Baker to Pittsburgh so he can stick it to Cleveland twice a year. I actually would have loved that spot for Baker Mayfield, but the Steelers just went and signed Mitchell Trubisky on a two year contract. So, and I, I understand we're talking about Mitchell Trubisky here. So, that's not to say the Steelers don't make a run at Baker Mayfield if he ends up being available and available on the cheap, which he's going to have to be. But it doesn't look like right now the Steelers are going to be in the running as far as Baker's eventual landing spot. That is the type of organization, though, where you could have stuck Baker and he could have – that that team could have won some games. It wouldn't have been a lost season in 2022 because I think that's what you're staring down in Houston and in Seattle and even in Atlanta if that job comes open and Deshaun Watson ends up going to New Orleans as most of the initial reports had suggested. Pittsburgh is one of the few places that had and or has an opening 
that could provide a quarterback the opportunity to experience some success, not just individually, but as far as the team's capacity to win football games. It's going to be tough. Like Pittsburgh, in last year is is not a good example. The year before, where the Browns, what they beat them, they beat them twice in a row. Right? It was it back to back weeks. Yes, it was. Yeah, they beat them back to back weeks. So that was um, a little bit different. They beat them twenty four twenty two in Cleveland, and then they beat them in the playoffs. Uh, at home, right? Or no, they beat them in in Pittsburgh, forty eight thirty seven. So that's a little bit better. But I just I don't think Pittsburgh has an opinion of Baker that is like we've got to have that guy. You know what I'm saying? That's Does probably that make true. Sense? Yes. Um, as much as they've seen it, because last year he was not good against Pittsburgh at all, and you know. But who knows what's going to happen? It's fun to sit back and speculate and think, but uh, this is this is the type of moment that Baker Mayfield ultimately thrives on, right? Exactly. He he has he needs a a, a person or an entity in this uh, example to to motivate him and to drive him to go out and do something. So he's been able to reset and say, okay, watch this. You want, you want to bring someone else in? Watch this. Now, he, he has limitations. I, he's not going to go out next year and turn into Aaron Rodgers, but um, I think this will be, be good for Baker Mayfield, I, I, I feel. So Cleveland is Texas Tech in this scenario is what you're saying. Cleveland is Texas Tech. And I don't know if Stefanski is Kingsbury or uh, I, I don't know who. I, you know, there's a chance that Stefanski is sitting there at his desk up at the facility smashing his face on the, um, on the you know, the top of his desk. Heck, because, I would be. <laughs> well, because maybe the GM put him in this situation. Or maybe it was him. I, I don't know like who's to blame, but I don't know who the Kingsbury of the situation is, but Tech is Cleveland. Here we go. That's right. Man. Fun stuff. It, 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 you bring up a great point, though. This is exactly the type of situation that Baker Mayfield has seen time and time again over the course of his career. Yeah. And every time, it seems he rises to the occasion. So He, he typically does. This is, this is the ultimate test of Baker's medal, though, because – it's one thing to do it in the Big 12. It's an entirely different thing to do it in the NFL. So maybe this is the motivating factor that he needs to push his game to the next level. We're going to find out real quick. And I think what's most important for Baker is to land somewhere where there is somebody that believes in him, right. that legitimately believes in him and is willing to give him the opportunity to be the starting quarterback and to be the guy that – the Cleveland Browns initially believed he could be when they selected him first overall right. in that 2018 NFL draft, which was a very quarterback-heavy draft, right. by the way. Um, which you know, I uh, I just I'm I'm fascinated by what would the what would the the difference had been had they been able to knock Kansas City off in the playoffs uh, the previous season. 
because they were right there. They had the opportunity to do it. Fourth and one with Chad Henney, man. Crazy. It was crazy. That that game was was awesome. Which you know, it's really interesting that I hear people talk about that game, and it's like, yeah, well, you know, they almost beat them, but they were playing against a backup quarterback for like ten minutes, like maybe half of a quarter in the fourth quarter. Let's not. I know everyone is always super quick to bail out Patrick Mahomes on any type of. Uh, bad performance that he's had. He had a bad toe that game, uh, I believe, which is fine. But does Baker get any sympathy for playing an entire season with a destroyed labrum? No. But we'll bail Patrick Mahomes out in revisionist history our way into saying that Cleveland almost beat a backup quarterback in the second round of the playoffs, not Patrick Mahomes. Come on. It's unbelievable the – uh, the mental gymnastics people will go through to defend Patrick Mahomes at this point. But, nonetheless, uh, we are in the current situation with Cleveland and Baker Mayfield. I just feel like if they had been able to pull off that game, when was it? When was the fumble? Was was that whenever he fumbled into the end zone? That was, that was early, early on. fourth quarter, I think. What a, I knew it as soon as I saw it happen in live. I was like, no! Because you know me. <laughs> I am, I I love Baker, but I hate the Kansas City Chiefs more than I love Baker Mayfield. And it's not really, like it's not the Chiefs. It's the way everyone treats the Chiefs is is what I despise. So I knew that as soon as I saw, it, I was like, oh my god, that's a touchback. This is horrible, brutal. All right, yeah. quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Keep hitting the the text line. We'll get into a lot of those next. Six five one. 3439 Air Comfort Solutions text line. Stay tuned. Back with you here on The Rush. Parker Thune, Teddy Lehman. Let's hit the Air Comfort Solutions text line. 405-651-3439. Teddy, one listener asks, could Baker knock off Tua in Miami? Seems like the Dolphins aren't fully committed to Tua. And we had talked about this a little bit yesterday. The Dolphins have really never been committed to Tua Tungvaloa. They brought in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, his very first year in the league, and then they kept him on the bench in favor of Jacoby Brissett for quite a while this past year in 2021. Now, the flaw in that ointment is if you're Baker Mayfield and you're trying to get away from a less-than-stellar administrative situation in Cleveland, going Cleveland to Miami might be an upgrade, but it isn't much of one. Yeah. Well, it's a massive upgrade in terms of – weather and what it's like uh living arrangement but it it is a it's a big leap it's a big leap in 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 the type of team that you're going to have um you've got a division that has gotten really interesting always owned by New England now Buffalo has showed up and started playing some really, really good football. You know, I'll tell you honestly, I I don't have much of a problem with, with Tua. And I know that he is very polarizing and and a lot of people think he's terrible. And maybe that's the case. I don't know. I'll have to – I just haven't seen him play a whole heck of a lot. But, I mean, here's the thing. 
they they dang near made the playoffs, and he won what? Uh, looks like seven of his final eight games last year. Was that right? That's correct. Yeah, they went on that seven-game winning streak towards the end of the season. Seven-game winning streak. Um, knocked off New England late, and that was a game New England had to have, right? And and Tennessee, wasn't it a game Tennessee had to have for um, like for where they needed for to be? Seating? Yeah, yeah, the, for seeding, yeah. The Dolphins threw a wrench in a whole lot yeah. of those AFC teams' playoff hopes. Right, so – I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. His numbers, they're okay. Are they terrible? No. 68% um, completion guy, you know, only had the 16 touchdowns, 10 interceptions on the season. Um, I don't know. I'm interested to see. You know, now, McDaniels has said a lot of really positive things about Tua as he's shown up, but first-time head coach, just accepted the job. I wouldn't expect him to say anything else, right, except to be really positive about who his quarterback is and, and what they can do moving forward. Um, I don't know. I think that Baker would welcome going to Miami and, and playing with McDaniels in that, in that offense that has had a lot of success, and they use a lot of different weapons in a bunch of different ways, and a change of scenery – in a good way as far as living arrangement. I think at this point, Baker would welcome a trade anything. anywhere that's not no. Cleveland. That's how badly he wants to get out of that situation. Here's a, a trade proposal on the Air Comfort Solutions text line, okay. courtesy of one of our listeners. Seattle ships Locke, 2022 first and third, 2023 second, and Jamal Adams. Brown ship Baker in a 2022 third rounder. Look, Nobody's given up a first-round pick no for Baker Mayfield at this point in time. There's no way. I think the most you are getting for him is a third-rounder. That is the absolute best-case scenario for Cleveland, and a lot of it has to do, as we were talking about earlier, Teddy, with the fact that they came out and said, yeah, we want an adult, adult at quarterback. I don't know why uh, you would – if you're Seattle, wouldn't you rather take a quarterback in the first round? And I know it's not a great year – for for quarterbacks, but I don't know. I'd almost rather almost rather take a flyer on a year with with Drew Locke. Maybe take a quarterback if one of these guys uh, maybe fell to the second and you had an opportunity there. Um, I don't know. I I don't think they're they are in a spot right now where they absolutely have to covet first round picks. Seattle does right and. You know, if you don't you don't offload those for for Baker Mayfield no, at you this don't. moment right now. You maybe you maybe offload them for a guy like Deshaun Watson. Like if you think there is a legitimate game changer out there at quarterback that could help alter the direction of your franchise, then maybe that's a guy you consider giving up a couple of those first rounders that you just acquired for. Yeah. But you're not gonna mortgage your future on Baker Mayfield. You're just not. And we also have to consider the fact that Seattle as an organization historically has not been too aggressive in drafting and acquiring big-name quarterbacks. Right. right. Matt Hasselbeck was the starter there for years and years. There was that brief period where it was Charlie Whitehurst and Tavares Jackson. Then <sighs> they signed Matt Flynn. Oh, my God. In that the big worst. deal. You know what, though? Signing Matt Flynn – 
that horrible personnel decision based off of one game he played when Aaron Rodgers was sitting standing on the sideline because they were already in the playoffs, that horrible personnel decision ended up being the personnel decision that saved their bacon. Because had they not paid him a massive deal, they would have taken a quarterback in the first round and not taken Russell Wilson in the third, right? So the fact that they made that deal is why they ended up with Russell Wilson. So we're gonna have to we're gonna have to look back at that uh, at that draft class and see who they would have taken because I'd be really curious because you're exactly right. Like without that Matt Flynn deal in place, they're definitely overdrafting a quarterback there. Right, and then they wouldn't have been so quick to put like even if they still took Russell Wilson, they wouldn't have been quick to unseed their first rounder for the third rounder like they were Flynn. I mean, they knew right away. Like that is the that is maybe the best. That's the highest grossing uh, football game for any player ever. Matt Matt Flynn in like a week seventeen game against someone that who was it? Against? It was Detroit. It was Detroit. Who he probably threw for won one game that year. No, Detroit was a playoff team that year. Actually, were they? Yeah, they were. <laughs> and were so they that like guys too? Though, no, Detroit was playing everybody because they had seating to fight for. And I they remember just got he straight just lit, lit, up. lit it up that Yeah, day. 480 yards and six touchdowns. Seattle's got the ninth pick of the draft this year. They're not trading that that pick. There's no way. There's no way. Okay, so the Seahawks in that draft picked 15th. That would have been uh, – so they selected Bruce Irvin with that pick. At the time, the top quarterback on the draft board would have been Brandon Whedon. Hmm. So, yeah <laughs> – Signing okay. Matt Flynn was a bit of a blessing in disguise when it was all said and done. Well, we say that, but it goes back to what I was talking about yesterday. Brandon Whedon, had he not gone to Cleveland, which was not this Cleveland, that was a horrible Cleveland where he went, and it, you know, just there's no chance of success there. Who knows what would have happened with Whedon if he had, he'd gone somewhere else. But the point is exactly right. They would have ended up taking someone else there at that spot. There's, not a, there's, there's no doubt. And the other first-round quarterbacks in that draft were Andrew Luck. Obviously, that one panned out, but his career was abbreviated. Right. You had Robert Griffin III, and you had Ryan Tannehill. Where'd, where'd Tannehill go? Eighth overall to the Dolphins. See, and, and they drafted what, 15? Is that what you they said? They drafted 15. So – that could have been a situation like if you don't have a quarterback there at all, like we've got to trade up and, and take one. We've got to find a way to get up to maybe um, that number eight spot and get a Tannehill or get someone else. So uh, good stuff. Appreciate the text messages, guys. Keep them coming. Quick timeout. We'll come back and wrap up our number one. I love this tweet, Teddy. This is from Benjamin Albright, who covers the Denver Broncos. <laughs> he tweeted a DM exchange that he had with a front office executive on what he cited as a competing team. And the DM reads, and this is in reference to the Browns, for a bunch of Ivy League guys, they never seem to handle things intelligently. So you remember what the Browns did? Is like They brought in the Moneyball guy. They brought in Jonah Hill's Moneyball character. That's one of their big-time front office executives. And, of course, he was like a Yale grad, big on economics and math. 
Well, I'm fine with the economics and math and you know, I I haven't seen the philosophy as it relates to football, but I don't think the formula involves someone going to a reporter and nuking the entire franchise by saying they want an adult in the room at quarterback, right? That's not part of the formula. Now, I can't say that it was that guy. I don't know who it was, but I don't care what your your approach is, like how you evaluate talent. When you have when you have someone or an an entire front office that is going to go scorched earth on relationships with players that you have on roster, that could be tough to overcome. And you just get the sense that that's one of those things that's going to age very poorly, right? And you don't exactly know how. It could be because Baker Mayfield goes somewhere else and has a lot of success. It could be because the next quarterback you bring in has some off-field issue. <laughs> but that just you, you can easily identify the, that quote right there as one of the things. You're like, yeah, that's probably going to trend on Twitter in three or four years. I'll tell you what, man. If I'm an owner... And let's say I'm a GM and I'm not the one that said that to Chris Mortensen. I, that is a fireable offense if it ends up costing you everything, right? And it's already cost them quite a bit. Right. All right, quick time out. More from the rush coming up. Hour number two is next. Rush is back. Teddy Lehman here. Parker Thune filling in for Tyler McComas. We're hanging out in studio. Text line, Air Comfort Solutions, text line 651-3439. Law offices of Rob Polston, Oklahoma Tax Resolution Line, 329-9000. We've got some tournament action underway. Official tournament action, which, by the way, was uh, disappointed last night that our guy, Peter Kiss, couldn't get it done. I know he dropped 28, but they uh, they could not even make it out of the first four. Couldn't make it out of the first four. Um, so much for the kiss of death. Yeah, we've had some uh, we've had some interesting action go on. Some good games so far. Is um, uh, is Richmond still beating Iowa? Yes, fifty six fifty two with four minutes left. Just under four minutes left in the second is what I see on that one. Oh boy. Uh, North Carolina up 21-10 on Marquette, uh, just halfway through the first. Um, I'm watching in here. I've got Gonzaga tied with Georgia State. No way. 23 all, 620 left in the first. I'm going to have to pull the receipts because earlier in the week I said, I don't think Georgia State's going to win that game, but I'll bet you they give Gonzaga a run for their money. Well, don't play both sides of the thing. Go ahead and make a pick. It's tw- it's tied right well, now. Well, I have I have Gonzaga winning the national championship. Okay, so, so I, I, I I'm hoping Gonzaga pick. makes it out of the woods. Right, but that Georgia t- State team can play a little ball. It looks like one of the players here for Georgia State currently down on the floor. Uh, the one of their forwards, big guy, senior, um, looks like he's hurt pretty bad. But um, yeah, some uh, some interesting action so far. Good game earlier with uh, Michigan and Colorado State. That was a, a back-and-forth battle. Um, Colorado State went up by, gosh, they were up double digits at points in that game, and Michigan clawed back, ended up winning it, I believe. Um, but, yeah, Richmond up on five, 12 Richmond up on five-seed Iowa. Um, and Gonzaga tied right now, 23-23, 6-20 left in the first. There you have it. Um, I, you know <laughs> – 
I said last hour with Drake, I was like, you know, I don't think they're going to be any major bracket busters today. And then Richmond, the Spiders. You just never out know, here man. Taking it to Iowa. You just never know um, what's going to happen in in a lot of these games. None of well, I can't say none, but whenever you look at like the sixteen ones and and stuff similar to that. And some people can do it, but they never outright say, well, this is going to be an upset. Um, you know, like a, a 15 St. Peter's is going to beat Kentucky. Book it. I'm calling it right now. That never never happens. You get a lot of, well, could get a good game here. People dance around it, rarely pick it. So it's hard to, it's hard to find any of those that you just want to put your your money behind, so to speak, right? We were talking on Locked In about the UMBC-Virginia game in 2018, and that, for my money, is maybe the greatest moment. And I get it wasn't a single moment, it wasn't a single play, but like that entire game provided maybe the greatest moment of my lifetime in the NCAA tournament, not necessarily just because it was a 16 beating a 1 for the first time in the history of the tournament, but just because that game wasn't close. Yeah. Like it wasn't as if UMBC got lucky with a couple late ch- shots from the cheap seats that found the net. No. They took it to Virginia, which was the number 1 overall seed that year for 40 straight minutes. Yeah, this- they took it to them and like their defense, if I remember right, Virginia's was like incredible, right? Yeah, it was they were surrendering like 53 points per game or right. something like that. Crazy. And I, I don't know. It's wild. Crazy things happen in this tournament. Um, you know, a lot of times you'll make it through in a year where there's not a whole lot of craziness. In other years, you just feel like one after another, some of the big boys fall. And it feels like if one goes down early, that you start to get some other teams tighten up. And, and like, then oh it's my all gosh, hell breaking loose. Are we really prepared? Did we do everything we needed to in, in, in the lead up to this thing? So it's wild. Now listen to this. Tell me if you've seen this. Okay. I saw this. Um, someone passed this along to me via the Twitter app for iPhone. It says <laughs> uh, more and more info coming out. And it links to a... Reddit college football, which I don't oh, know. Great. Is that bad? Is that a, not a good site? It's probably a joke. What's okay? What is? I, well, it it's say? a blue check mark group, but yeah. Then I won't read it if it's not if that's not a legitimate place. Is it? Is it the one that says? And I, I saw it making the rounds earlier, where it was like Deshaun Watson turned down the Browns because of character concerns with. Oh yeah, 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 is, yeah. That's fake. Yeah, okay. it's, it's a joke. Yeah, gotcha. Like I don't know what that. That's what, what that, that account, account posts. Is. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, thank you for saving the day there on that then. Which is, it's funny. It's a good joke because at this point, it's very, very believable. Yes, right? it is. <laughs> it's very, like, very It's, it's one of those tweets that I had to do a double take. I was like, right. I, I, I can believe it, but it's Reddit CFB. So. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I, I want to know. And, you know, people never burn their sources, right? That yeah, never yeah. happens. But I, I want to know where Chris Mortensen got that comment. And I, I wonder if it ever sees the light of day, right? Because that, that was the 
That was the scorched earth moment. And maybe there was already stuff going on behind the scenes that we just didn't know about um, that, that, you know, ended up like that comment is a response to like several days of back and forth between the two parties or whatever. But I don't know, fascinated to, to see if any of the real story ever comes out and we get to hear kind of how this thing devolved into what we have on our hands now. Air Comfort Solutions text line is available to you, 405-651-3439. One listener points out, this can't be good for Morty either, right? Why would team execs trust him after he put that out? Well, yeah. It, uh, I, I think there's going to be it, – it's not going to reflect as poorly on Chris Mortensen as it will on <laughs> whoever well, the hell gave him that quote it's one of those things where like for for chris mortensen that is a calculated decision on whether or not to put that out right because man that's a huge statement and that statement is going to generate a lot of attention but do you burn the source that said that to you and how did they say it to you did they say it to you uh in what they believe to be off record and you know, you're just having a conversation about uh, the overall situation, or was that a "this is what we think" put it out there type of statement? You know, I I don't know the context of, of how it was given to to Mortensen, but you know, for him, I it's not bad in a sense of credibility. No, for the fans or people that you know follow his coverage, but it. It burns that source if they didn't want it out there, and it makes everyone else think a little bit harder about what they share with him and what they don't, which that's that's a risk you you run as a reporter that covers, frankly, anything. It's not just sports. There has to be some type of filter there of what you, what you consider to be off record and what you consider something that is worthy of publishing in – you know the thing is you can you can say you can say that phrasing like you can you can get the same point across without using the direct quote right um and you don't just, have to attribute it to anybody right and you can soften the blow somehow but that was uh that was straight up here's what they said and off we go yeah you know wow. I, one of the things i often tell people is Seventy-five percent of the work of being a reporter is not publishing information, right? Because you you end up putting out probably about a quarter of the information that gets passed your way. Oh, because yeah. Because you got to be real sensitive right. about some of that stuff that could reflect very poorly on well, certain people and/or organizations if it became public. Well, well the thing with the Mortensen uh, report is. You don't know if that is one person's opinion of Baker Mayfield or is that the entire – because it's put across as organizationally like that is what Cleveland the Cleveland Browns are saying, right? Exactly. So, I don't know. Fascinating. Fascinating stuff. And I don't know. It, it's – honestly – there's part of me that is worried for Baker about how this whole thing ends up. 
and there's part of me that's excited for him. Like there, maybe there's possibly a good opportunity out there, and and he has a, the ability to turn the tide. I mean, he was going to be facing a really, really pressure-packed, intense season there at Cleveland if he was going to still be the like. Even if they put their full belief behind him and supported him as the starting quarterback, it was still going to be one of those. Like, if the results and the play isn't there. Like, they're not renewing that contract. But now, you know, he may have the opportunity to go somewhere. They may sign him to some type of extension. And and who knows? New breath of life. It's almost like watching a buddy break up with a girlfriend you didn't like, right? Because on the one yeah. hand, you're kind of bummed for him, but you're also like, yes, get, right? get, him, get him paired up with anybody but that person. We're or in back, this case, baby. that organization. We are back. That's right. So, yeah, as long as he doesn't end up in Houston, like, to me – if he ends up in Houston, that's the type of move that can relegate you to backup duty for several years because you're, there's just no chance you succeed there in right. 2022. Right. There's a chance you succeed anywhere else. Houston, not happening. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Don't know. I Part of it, I think, and, and I don't, I don't believe – Baker's rookie contract is going to have a no trade clause in it, right? Where he has to. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think that that is that's going to be in a rookie contract. So, you know, it may be a it may be a situation where he ends up in Houston. Like, if the terms are really this bad between each team, they're not going to send him to a good place, <laughs> right? Which because I don't think there's going to be. Like offers that they can't refuse coming in. I think the offers are going to be bad, frankly, because of the situation they've put themselves in. They, their their back is really against the wall. I don't think there's going to be very many options. And my guess is there he's going to end up in a place that is not going to be some like a sit, situationally a good good opportunity. It's, no, it's going to be someone that. Like I said yesterday, I think it's going to be use that year, eighteen million bucks, which is cheap for a quarterback in the NFL currently. Um, he's not going to be surrounded with very good players. They're going to have a bad year, and they're going to take a quarterback from next year's draft class, which is pretty good. But I do think he's going to be incredibly motivated wherever yeah. he ends up. Right? Like I don't I I'm not no of the opinion that Baker Mayfield cares where he's playing football in 2022 at this point. I think his objective is to get on the football field with whatever team contracts his services and express the Cleveland Browns through his play. Yeah, guess what? You know what? You want to treat me like that? I'll show you some adult football. Oh yeah. He's it's going to be watch this no matter where he goes and he'll fully embrace Whatever that new opportunity happens to be, um, I don't know. I hopefully he's able to pull off a, a really good year. I hope that's the case. We'll see. Don't know. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Air Comfort Solutions text line six five one three four three nine. Law Officer Rob Polston, Oklahoma Tax Resolution Line three two nine nine thousand. Oh boy, Teddy. Those spiders about to pull off upset number one of the tournament. Two seconds left, right? Is that what I just saw before this one went to commercial? I don't know, man. You're the one with the screen. Yeah, I. It was up a second ago. Uh, Sixty-five, sixty-three, Richmond, 
Four seconds remaining in the game. By the way, Georgia State may very well take a lead into halftime against Gonzaga. Currently down to 35-33 with 32 seconds left in the first. Georgia State within two of the overall number one seed, Gonzaga. You know who's having him a nice day is uh, Brady Manick. 13 points already in the first half for North Carolina. Manic 13 points, eight boards. North Carolina up 41-21 over Marquette and just got into a little bit of a dust-up uh, as they head into a TV timeout. Love to see it. Oh, really? A dust-up? Yeah, a- no dust involved. Um, just a little bit of pushing and shoving. Typical basketball fight. A lot of holding each other back. Was, uh, was old Prairie Larry involved? Did you see his? Uh, did you see his blonde locks in the center of it? I did not. Doesn't oh, okay. mean he wasn't there. I didn't know. I I would have noticed though. I think if Sons of Anarchy was in there uh, throwing bows. Air Comfort Solutions text line here four zero five six five one thirty four thirty nine. One listener says, "Interesting ESPN doing a lot of Baker talk. If Watson chooses Atlanta, then they think Baker could be headed to three teams: New Orleans." Indianapolis and Houston, possibly Seattle. They all agree he's out of Cleveland, regardless of what the front office says about obliging his trade requests. Which of those, which of those spots, Teddy, you think would you like to see Baker in the most? For me, it's New Orleans. No doubt. I think New Orleans is the best landing spot imaginable, all things considered, for Baker Mayfield. And New Orleans, you know, it's funny. Twenty-four hours ago, I'm sure they were banking on getting Deshaun Watson. Right. A lot of folks on Twitter were. Um. A couple of things. Indy, I don't think is. I don't think of the of the ones we listed. New Orleans is the best opportunity for Baker Mayfield to go have uh, a lot of success. Division now, Tampa Bay obviously is is really good, competitive. Tom Brady is back. Um, but Atlanta, eh, Carolina, eh. Now Atlanta changes if Deshaun Watson is there. That's that's significant upgrade. How much does it change though? Because not it doesn't change everything. Yeah, they, that's a bad football team. <laughs> doesn't change everything. Um, you know they they've got some really nice pieces there in New Orleans. There and there's no doubt about that. And depending on who they're able to hang on to or not. It's it's an offense that you can definitely have a lot of success with. So that's the best option. Now, I'd be lying if part of me wasn't sitting here saying, please, please, please let Baker Mayfield go to Seattle because uh, the herd – Loves Seattle, <laughs> loves the Seahawks. Oh boy, that would be that would lead to a lot of inner emotional conflict. Loves Pete Carroll, loves the Seahawks, loves the organization. Is always talking about how smart they are and how great and how forward thinking. If Seattle takes Baker Mayfield, like what? What has something has to happen there? Something has to happen for Colin Coward. Like what side do you take? Do you take? Seattle and continue to say that they're super smart by bringing in Baker Mayfield or like, I don't know. I don't know that that would be interesting to see that whole thing play out. Got to admit 
Another listener says, isn't this really just the most Baker Mayfield situation yet? Who but Bake could manufacture such a chip on the shoulder? And yeah, we talked about that, Teddy. Like, if there is one guy that is going to be able to make the most of this situation and go prove somebody wrong, it's probably Baker Mayfield. Right. Well, yeah, but I I don't think this is a, like a like to me. I think that like the the this whole thing falls on Cleveland, in my opinion, not Baker Mayfield. I can't I can't get mad at Baker Mayfield for responding to a team outright trying to replace him number 1 and number 2 issuing statements about you know his immaturity or however you want to take that saying they wanted an adult in the room like uh, you can't get mad at Baker and saying that he's manufacturing a chip on his shoulder like I I feel like any quarterback or any player on any professional team would respond the same exact way especially if they had the opportunity to if you're a um a minimum salary guy that is a year to year player you don't have any leverage to be able to speak up you just do everything you can to make make a team but whenever you're a guy in the position of Baker Mayfield's currently under contract for 18 million dollars coming up next year you know i you you've got a little bit of leverage there and an ability to push back if an organization is trying to throw you under the bus. I think it's justified the chip on the shoulder right now. And he's also a former number one overall draft pick. And right. has he been superb? No, in general, certainly not. But we're not talking about Jamarcus Russell here. <laughs> No. Right, We're talking about a guy that when he's been on his game at the NFL level has done some very good and very encouraging things at the quarterback position. Right, And Cleveland did not win 11 games in 2020 and win a playoff game for the first time in 20 years by accident. Right, Sure, that isn't solely due to Baker Mayfield's influence, but he had a pretty dang good season that year. What do we say? 23 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. Mm-hmm. And led the team to that dominant postseason victory in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Baker Mayfield is a guy that's going to have an opportunity to go somewhere and start. And there there may even be a situation where there's a franchise that emerges over the next 48 to 72 hours that's willing to come and acquire Baker Mayfield and make him their starter. No strings attached, no questions asked. Right. I don't think that's out of the question. That could be New Orleans. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's... There's there's a bunch of there's a bunch of reasons why last year turned out the way that it did. Um, it was injuries, not just like Baker had significant injuries. Jarvis Landry, what he missed four or five games. Um, you had guys in the backfield miss multiple games. Kareem Hunt was out half of the year. Nick Chubb missed a couple of games there down the stretch. And it was it was just a it was a tough year for everyone involved at Cleveland. And yeah, Baker Mayfield the year previous, whenever things were really starting to round into shape, had a really good year. I mean, I got the numbers right here. He was um he passed for thirty five hundred yards, twenty six touchdowns to eight interceptions. Right? And he wasn't sacked nearly as much. 
He was sacked 40 times in 2019. He was sacked 43 times in 2021. 2020, whenever he was healthy, uh, he was only sacked 26 times, almost half. So, yeah, he's he's proven that he can play at a at a pretty high level. He's not an elite quarterback, and in my opinion, he's not going to turn into an elite quarterback. But he's a he's a very serviceable quarterback, and we got to continue to repeat it. It's Cleveland. <laughs> it's Cleveland. Right? It's Cleveland. So, come on. And you remember the conversation we were having when Baker Mayfield was drafted by the Cleveland Browns four years ago. It was, oh my goodness, how is he going to win there? Yeah. And he won there. But it was also, if anyone can do it, it would be someone like Baker that would come in and say, screw everyone, we're doing it. Watch us. And and that's what he's that's what he's done. And by the way, it is final. Richmond, sixty seven. Iowa, sixty three. Twelve takes out a five. Wow, that's a big that busted a lot of brackets right there. I I need to verify this, but and let me just say that I am not taking credit for it if I did, but I think I may have picked that. Really? I think I may have picked that. And it would have just been a whatever, let's try this one. Not that I knew I had any insight into it. I just feel like that may have been one that I I uh, just kind of was like, eh, let's try that for an upset. But on, on the topic that you were just referencing there, Teddy, this was a tweet I ran across earlier, and it's outstanding. Baker Mayfield is emotional, passionate, and takes everything personally. It what it's what makes him such a match for the city of Cleveland. Now, after four head coaches in four years and his team saying it may like someone better, you want him to not be emotional and not take that personally, right? And yeah, that's part of what make made Baker Mayfield the ideal guy for that situation in Cleveland, mm-hmm. uh, the situation that had chewed up and spit out so many of his predecessors on right. that infamous Browns quarterback jersey. Yeah, that's right. Um, and no, I did not pick uh, Richmond over Iowa. Yeah, I, that's that's already one of my elite eight teams out. I mm. resist. I I, I kind of hedged my bets on Iowa because I was like, you know what? I really want to pick them to go deep in this tournament, but I also know that they're Iowa, and this is the type of thing that Iowa would do is lose in the first couple rounds. And so I say, you know what? Elite eight will. We'll leave him there. Well, the we'll folks that had Providence um, making a nice run—that's that's an opportunity there with Providence and in Richmond in the second round. Um, my, I don't, I don't know. Like, obviously, they just beat Iowa, and I don't know how that matchup is against Providence. But just viewing it, if you're Providence, you'd rather be playing a 12 seed than a five seed. So I don't know. Yeah, certainly, and certainly a 12 seed that needed to win its conference tournament to make the dance. Right. Like Richmond was not going to be in the tournament if they hadn't won the Atlantic 10. Right. Well, there you go. Fun day so far. Some good games out there. And uh, some massive blowouts like Baylor decide. Okay, Baylor's like, all right, it's it's the uh, NCAA tournament. We're showing up. They go and destroy uh, Norfolk State, and I don't know. It looks like they're going to be set to play North Carolina, who's up 51-25 
over Marquette. They're about to go into into the first in, into halftime. So, do you see the reports over the weekend that Scott Drew was interested in the Georgia job? That was the biggest crock of crap I've ever seen. And it wasn't even like a credible reporter either. It was like somebody who has a Georgia podcast that was like, I, I'm hearing Scott Drew has interest in the Georgia job, and Georgia representatives have reached out to gauge his interest. They're in talks. Like, no, they're not. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I And then they went and hired Mike White less than 24 hours later. That's so weird. I, I don't I don't know have we ever heard of anyone that is like currently the reigning national champion be interested in a job outside of the one that they're at? Has that ever happened anywhere? No, and Scott Drew has also been there for two decades. You have to imagine he's had opportunities to take bigger jobs if he'd wanted it. But Scott Drew was the guy that built Baylor into what it is today in the aftermath of as dark a situation as we have seen for any Power 5 college basketball program. Georgia. He's not not leaving Baylor anytime soon, and he's certainly not leaving for Georgia. Yeah, for those who don't know, because I didn't know, I had to look it up. Georgia, dead last. Dead last in the SEC this year, basketball-wise. Not by a little bit. By a lot of bit. Didn't they win one game in conference? One and seventeen in conference, six and twenty-six overall. Ouch. And yeah, yeah Scott Drew wants that job. That makes a whole lot of sense. That's so dumb. You don't put that out there, whoever that guy is. Don't come on. He very quickly got flamed by every corner of sports Twitter. It was outstanding. Come on, man. Come on. All right, quick time out. More from the rush. Coming up, hour number two rolls on next. But, Teddy Lehman, things aren't looking too promising on day one of the tournament for the greatest basketball conference in the league, the Big Ten. Uh-oh. Rutgers went down last night. Iowa gets bounced by Richmond today. Mm. This this was the conference, right? They got nine teams into the dance. Yeah. Because it's the powerhouse. It's the premier basketball conference. uh, You know, the interesting thing about that that Rutgers-Notre Dame game was someone had to lose it, right? Yes. (laughs) Someone had to lose it. Turned out to be a pretty wild game. Went to overtime and uh, was really tight. 89-87. Notre Dame ends up prevailing. So, yeah, there you go. That game was tight the whole way through. Fascinating stuff. Wasn't it uh wasn't it 69-69 at the end of regulation? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, someone, you, were, you were having a field day with that one, weren't you? Yeah. Someone sent that it was 69-69 with 69 seconds left in the game when there was 109 left. So they just didn't score for the last 69 seconds? Didn't score for the last uh, 69 seconds. They they did seconds. you a solid with that one. How about that? Just amazing. Just let it simmer. Almost burned into the television. It was on the screen so long. Beautiful. North Carolina is blowing the doors off Marquette. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Blowing Caleb the doors Love, off them. Brady Manick, and the boys, they are playing them some ball. All right, let's who, go. Who would have figured that Brady Manick would be doing this for the North Carolina Tar Heels in the year of our Lord 2022? It's crazy. And I admittedly gave Brady Manick a lot of grief whenever he was at Oklahoma. And understandably so. He, he, I, I really liked watching him play. 
he was the guy that I, for whatever reason, maybe pulled for the most or always wanted him uh, to get hot, whatever. That that was the guy that I wanted because he's just kind of a, an unassuming guy and everything. But my, my opinion of Manic was that I, and I don't know. I'm not going to blame Long Kruger for it. Part of it, it is kind of to blame because of the way the roster was that he he ended up having to pull some really difficult duty in the Big Twelve defending big guys, and that's not I mean, that is not Manic's thing. Like, no, he's a hang around the three point line kind of guy, not down low banging with with the bigs. But I always said, and I still maintain, it would have been the best thing ever. Is I would have demanded if I was the head coach, that Brady Manick get a technical foul in every single game. Like, go out there. I want you to to start a fight. I want you to get in a pushing match. I want you to hard foul a guy when he's going up for a dunk. Maybe take someone's legs out. Like, go out there and wreak some havoc on the basketball game and – and don't be pushed around. Don't be timid. Don't be shy. Be assertive. Uh, if we're going to compare you to Larry Bird, which because of looks, right? No one, no one suggested that he was going to become uh, as good as Larry Bird. But Larry Bird brutalized people on the basketball court. Okay, uh, he was tough as nails. Like that was my big frustration and. You know, and, and I think that, that the, the timid nature showed up in the stat line. Good at home. Why? It's comfortable, right? It's my fans. It, there's, there's not people crowding up on top of me, me yelling stuff at me about my mustache, right? I'm embraced here. Everything's in, in my favor. You go on the road, there's adversity, right? Maybe you're not getting calls. Maybe it's a little more physical, Maybe there are uh, a bunch of guys in the student section that are that are razzing you the entire game, uh, and and that affected his. Uh, he was good at home and struggled on the road. That was always my complaint. But as soon as he was in the portal, I I felt that a change of scenery was would be good for Maniac. I didn't know he was going to go to North Carolina, but. I, I thought that the change of scenery would be, would be good for him. A lot of those guys that have transferred out from Oklahoma <laughs> since last season have landed on their feet in a big way. Alondis Williams yeah. was ACC Player of the Year, bizarrely enough. Yeah. I mean, that was Oklahoma's sixth man. Right. Nobody would have figured that he was going to go to Wake Forest and do what he did, average 27-5 and five for the Demon Deacons. Right. Kirkweth is playing – Opposite Brady Manick right now for Marquette as their starting center. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you th- it, it is interesting. You throw any one of those guys on Oklahoma's t- – if, the- if they bring back any one of those guys, whether that's Manick or Alondis Williams or even Kirk Queth or Austin Reeves for that matter, Davion Harmon's up at Oregon now. It's crazy. But just think <sighs> about all those guys that left and what – Porter Moser had to try and piece back together. It makes his coaching job all the more remarkable when right. you put it into context like that. Right. And and like you said, those those guys were not just good, solid players here. 
they've uh, they've gone on and done good things elsewhere. So, yeah, wild, wild. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. We'll wrap up our number two next. Stay with us. The hilarious Twitter reaction to Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns standoff continues to pour in. Parker Thune, Teddy Lehman here with you on the rush. This is my new favorite. The rest of us are playing checkers and the Browns are playing Russian roulette. <laughs> yeah, they've upped the ante, right, by uh, saying we're, you know, it's gone from really quickly – we're doing our due diligence and and trying to bring in the best talent available to uh we're cutting our own leg off uh you know in order to prove a point in the media wow <laughs> so somebody else said baker creating his fan duel account right now <laughs> that that's that's another thing with Deshaun Watson going to Atlanta is who the hell is he going to throw to? Because Russell Gage just signed with the Bucks and Calvin Ridley ain't suiting up in 2022 Mm, yeah, he's gonna have and his and his running Kyle back, Pitts, I guess, who yeah, had, had the tweet and deleted it. And your running back is a wide receiver himself, Cordero Patterson. Yeah, that's that's how bad the Falcons' offense was this past year. They put a wide receiver at running back because they had no alternative. Whew. Yeah, and somehow they still. What they did they go eight and nine? Is that right? The Falcons. <laughs> Their record wasn't atrocious. I no, like, no. they, they, they lost, were seven and ten. Okay, seven and ten. They lost some games that were just completely one sided. Yeah. But they also won some that you're like, I don't know how they won that, but they did. Yeah, they <laughs> they basically beat all of the bad teams in the NFL. They beat the Jets, they beat the Dolphins, they did beat the Saints, they beat the Jags. Panthers, Lions. Like it was uh it was the the very bottom of the NFL who they played and and beat. So there you go. Yeah, I don't know. Um now, here's the thing though. And I don't know what their their cap situation is in Atlanta. It's got to be pretty pretty good. If Deshaun Watson comes in at quarterback, well, that becomes a destination for free agency, right, on the offensive side. People wanting to get in with Deshaun Watson uh, at the receiver position to be a running back in that system. So that'll help them out. Will it help them out immediately? Don't know. We'll have to wait and see how it unfolds. But eventually, because of how good of a quarterback he is, they'll be able to entice some of the top players to come in that are out there on the open market. You think Baker Mayfield has that effect at all? Do you think he has any sort of sway in terms of guys wanting to play with him in free agency? No. Like, I, it's obviously not going to be as significant as somebody like Deshaun Watson, but you think that that dynamic exists at all with Baker Mayfield? No, not at all. And the reason is it's front and center. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be one of the loudest voices out there at all times in in the NFL, and people elevate his voice for some unknown reason. Although he's a he's a problem everywhere he's gone, except for the Rams because he was able to jump in at the end and use that as a, a good situation for himself. There wasn't enough time really to for that whole thing to devolve, and I, I'm 
I'm just basing that off of what I've seen, and I think there's just it's just a matter of time before it happens in L.A. as well. I he, I could be proven totally wrong that he's a he's a change player, but last year the leading receiver was Peoples Jones for for Baker Mayfield with 34 catches, uh, 597 yards. He had three touchdowns, right? Um, and Joku led in receiving touchdowns for the Browns with four. They were a conservative offense that leaned heavily, heavily, heavily on the run game. And I think receivers are – they're going to look at those statistics, right? And they're going to say that's – that. That's the type of offense that's going to be built around Baker, and I want targets. I want I want the ball thrown to me downfield. Most of his tar, I think his his average per completion since he's been in the league is like seven and a half yards. Baker Mayfield's is so. I don't think that that's going to be a positive with with free agency unless he goes somewhere and those numbers change, which that's a possibility. I, I did get a text from a source earlier that said the Browns wide receivers are ready to drive Baker to the airport. So yeah. I, I I don't know who the Browns wide receivers are at this point because they just released Jarvis Landry and OBJ's out the door and Amari Cooper's not there yet. So I don't know who, who that is in reference to. Donovan Peoples Jones is about the only other wide receiver on that roster that I could name. But Yeah, that I think that is it. I mean, I think it's, that is the only other guy you can name. It's it's that type of situation where Austin Hooper's gone too, right? Yeah, I think they he's just, been gone. Well, yeah. didn't they just release him today? Oh, did they? Yeah. Okay. I think so. Um, Rashard Higgins. Oh, I forgot he existed. I'll be honest. Um, but it, it's it's one of those situations where even if there weren't all of these toxic subplots at play in the relationship between Mayfield and the Browns it does do him better to get a change of scenery and you know, go somewhere else. Here's one of the things with Baker that is really unique. In the NFL, uh-oh, Manic on a run out, good dish, nice assist. NFL personality is always receivers. Quarterbacks are always laid back. Baker Mayfield is a big personality in the locker room and everywhere, and – that could be some of the rub there. I don't know. All right, quick timeout, final hour of the rush coming up. Stay tuned. Rush is back, final hour. Teddy Lehman here. Parker Thune filling in for Tyler McComas, 651-3439, Air Comfort Solutions. Text line 329-9000 offices of Rod Polston. Georgia State. Gonzaga still within two, I believe, two or four. Georgia State right there fighting uh, with the Zags, trying to uh, stick around maybe for a crazy finish there. I feel like Gonzaga's going to get it together and start to pull away here. You disagree? I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with you, but I am concerned. Because like I said, I picked Gonzaga to win the national championship. So I got a lot riding on the outcome of this game and every one of Gonzaga's games hereafter. Woo! But man, it catch and shoot on the wing buries another three. Oh, Brady. Feeling it. But no, like the thing about it was I remember watching that UMBC Virginia game in twenty eighteen and thinking, okay, Virginia's gonna they're gonna figure it out here. It's coming. They're gonna they're gonna get on a run and uh 
We're going to shut UMBC down. We need to play the Skip Johnson um, OU baseball coach talking about the the pucker <laughs> because oh, – did Manning just bury another one? Woo, he's red hot. Look at that. He is four of eight from three. He's got 23. How about that? But 67 to 33 is the score of that game right it's now. Crazy. Um, Gonzaga's up four. There's 11 minutes. Now, there becomes a point if, if Georgia State continues to hang around and, you know, they're within two or the game's tied, maybe even they, they have a, a little bit of a lead where that, that pucker moment starts to happen for Gonzaga, right? Like, oh, my God, this is our year. Like, what's going on here as Georgia State? And we know that these crowds are – very, very favored towards the upset, right? Exactly. If you're not a Gonzaga fan in that building, you're rooting for Georgia State. Which, I don't know a whole lot about Gonzaga, but I'm guessing they don't have just some massive fan base. And I know there's a lot of uh, basketball followers there. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just thinking numbers-wise, it's probably not an overwhelming number. So that crowd starts to get behind Georgia State. And there's a little bit of panic involved. Who knows if that bleeds over into officiating just a little bit? Um, there's, there's a it, it. It can become pretty wild pretty quickly. So and that's one thing that always works in the underdogs' favor in March oh, yeah. Madness too. Is there is so much more pressure on the higher seed, right? And especially it's one, Gonzaga. It's, and it's a self fulfilling prophecy type of thing, right? You don't you don't want to be that team that goes down in history as the team that entered the tournament with championship expectations and got bounced in the first round. And so when that's in the back of your head, like I said, self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. That type of thing starts to happen. Yep, that's right. Um, So right now, Georgia State's within two, 59-57. I don't know. It's going to be a fun one to watch, but. Mike Holmgren's son just kicked it out to the wing, and they buried a three. So 62-57 Gonzaga. That dude, how do you think that dude's going to hold up in the NBA? Well, seven feet, hundred ninety-five pounds. Have you not? Uh, have you never heard me bring up the the single worst take in history um, by me? Oh, I got to hear this. I don't uh, think I have. Well. This is this is way back whenever um, uh, Kentucky was on their little run, and um, oh God, why am I drawing a blank? Lakers, um, powerful. Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis was coming out, and I was like, I, I just don't see it. I think he's too skinny for the NBA. I don't think he can handle the physicality at the next level. Well, you know, all NBA every award pretty much possible later that uh he's he's clearly destroyed that narrative and it took about zero time at all for him to destroy that narrative so that's my uh that's my worst take exposed right there but now in my defense he has been injured a ton right Uh, so has he really held up right i'm 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 grasping at anything at this point but i don't you know i don't know he's obviously rail skinny and it looks like it would be really tough but 
I don't know. There's this miraculous ability for guys that as soon as they go to the NBA, they're able to bulk up as Brady Manic two-hand tomahawk jam from the baseline. Absolutely feeling it. Gotta love it for uh, Manic, don't you? 25 points in March for Brady Manic. Mm. That that North Carolina's team, that, that team's about to beat Baylor in the round of 32. You think so? They will beat Baylor. I am calling my shot right now. They're having some fun right now. Uh, they're feeling it, playing really well. 74-45 over Marquette. Manic's going to go take a break, catch a breather, comb the uh, beard a little bit there. So, awesome. Yeah, UNC is just one of those teams that, like, you see the seeding and it's not anything special, but that is that is not your average eight seed. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. It's like Kentucky when they made a run to the national championship a few years back as an eight seed. Everybody was like, how, how in the world did an eight seed make it to the national championship? Well, because it's Kentucky. And uh, Which, by the way, I had forgot that Shaka Smart went to Marquette um, showing him walking up and yeah, down the Yeah, Shaka Smart line. has very quickly become a very forgettable figure in college well, basketball. I believe that he's going to do really good at Marquette. I think like his... His mindset and his mentality, like what gave him his rise was that full court pressure, havoc, defense, or whatever. And at Texas, they just, they played, and and because he he had a totally different caliber of athlete there, they got really top uh, NBA type prospects there. So you can't blame him for changing. It was just different. I think this style at a place like Marquette, the style that he's more accustomed to coaching and I think he'll get a better response out of some of these guys. I, I think it's a better spot for him, honestly. Which and is so funny that Texas, it's their response to to anything. Just, we're going to hire the flavor of the month. I, who happens to be, at that moment, the the talked about person, that's who we're going to hire as our, our next coach at whatever sport. And it's panned out exactly zero times for them. That's right. But they keep going back to the well. They need that splash hire to, you know, to satisfy all of the donors that are calling up and saying, why don't you guys look at Shaka Smart? Look what he did with VCU. Can you imagine what he do with, with all of our resources? Yeah, well, nothing. It's a sugar rush for your fan base, yeah. right? It's a great way to get everybody engaged with the future of the program because you're like, okay, this is the guy that we're hanging the program on. He's going to come in, and he's going to fill the shoes of the old guy, and he's going to take things up a notch, and he's going to get Texas football or Texas basketball or Texas what sport have you, and they're going to be nationally relevant again. As Gonzaga starts to get every call imaginable down the stretch here. No. With with 10 minutes to go. Shocking how that happens. And uh, Mike Holmgren's son is starting to really do some damage in the paint with the length. So there you yeah, go. He is, he is long. He's not big, but he's long. <laughs> right. That's one thing that man has is length. So get me up to speed on uh, the recruiting situation at the University of Oklahoma. How are we looking? It, it, do you think that this, this staff, like compare recruiting prowess, this staff and the last staff? It's different. And it's not necessarily an apples to apples comparison in my mind because – they, they have two very different philosophies. Uh, Riley and his staff were very much they, – they were a lot more – how can I put this and have it be fair to all involved? 
they went for the sizzle. Yeah. In recruiting a lot more than Venables mm-hmm. and company do. Riley well, and, and his that staff are all about receiver and quarterback totally carried Oklahoma's classes during Lincoln Riley's tenure. If you eliminate receiver and quarterback from our highest rated classes during his head coaching tenure, well, you eliminate like everything from those classes, right? That had him ranked highly. Exactly. And that was the nature of the way that Riley and his staff assembled a team. They built it from the outside in, right? You start with the skill positions and that's what you emphasize in recruiting and then however things shake out in the trenches you know you figure you cut your losses get what you can but as long as you have those guys that can create space on the outside and do damage with the ball in their hands you're going to be fine and obviously when you have the likes of a cd lamb for instance there's some merits in that philosophy but Venables and this staff are far more concerned with building from the inside out, starting in the trenches and then working out where prioritizing the skill positions. And I think the way that I look at it, that's a much more sustainable method of building a team because the reality is, Teddy, in today's day and age, running backs and wide receivers are kind of a dime a dozen. I agree. And every so often you get a guy that's a true game changer – and you get a guy that's a can't-miss prospect and that is legitimately leaps and bounds better than his peers at that position. But more often than not, most running backs and or wide receivers are pretty replaceable with the next guy down the recruiting rankings. You yep. know, there's not, no, I agree 100%. There is, there is way more of a gap between the number one offensive lineman in the nation and the number 100 offensive lineman in the nation than the number one receiver and the number 100 receiver. And here's here's what I this I hope this isn't taken negatively and a lot of you can I'm biased okay I'm biased <laughs> but the the team ends up kind of taking the personality of the players that are emphasized or. Uh, elevated by the staff and whenever you've got five-star guys at wide receiver a lot like those are the guys that are elevated and those are the guys that are um, like maybe given special treatment so to speak or really relied upon like these are our big five-star guys like they drive our football team so you end up having a football team driven by wide receivers and I there's definitely wide receivers out there that are absolute game changers but that is not how who you want driving the personality of your football team well it's because what, not. what were you saying last hour that's where the divas are or yes. the skill positions yes and it's there's not a problem in my opinion with wide receivers and and skill guys, it's it's mainly wide receivers, but I don't have a problem for the most part with them acting like that. I want wide receivers that want the football, right? I, I want that. I have no problem with that. But I don't want my team like getting their their cues on how to how to act and how to to lead a football team. That's that's not what I want. 
I can't think of any championship football team that is driven by receivers. It's it's almost always either driven by a quarterback or like a total unit, like a defense. Like that's kind of like the driving force of a football team. But we we haven't had that mindset because the players follow the coaches. And if the coaches are elevating wide receivers and prioritizing wide receivers, like that's the behavior and the guys that you emulate. That's that's not like that's typically not conducive to championships. At the college level, college is totally different than NFL. You're dealing with like culture and and like the day-to-day way that players carry and conduct themselves is way more important than the NFL. In the NFL, I don't care what you do as long as you're at practice, you're in meetings, and on Sunday you do what we've coached you to do and do what we pay you to do. That's really all, all that matters. Sure. In college, you've, you've got to have like you've got to have a really good, solid core to your team or the whole thing is just can be a disaster. Well, and one of the key distinctions between an NFL roster and a college roster is that you have 53 guys on an NFL roster. You got 100 plus in a yeah. collegiate locker room. Yeah. And you got 100 plus in guys that are you know, still building and developing their personalities and and developing as a football player and growing mentally and physically. It's a totally different element in structure and details and holding guys accountable. All of those things are are massive in maintaining a a, a good ordered football team. You know, I feel like that was. Lincoln Riley's biggest struggle whenever he was at OU um, as Manic buries another three. Oh, good gracious. Love it. He's unconscious. No, I think I think another key distinction between the Riley agenda and the Venables agenda is that, especially by virtue of the assistance that Venables has assembled on the defensive side of the ball, the Sooners are going to be able to recruit five-star defenders again. Yeah. And let me tell you, by the end of March – Oklahoma will have hosted the top four defensive linemen in the entire 2024 class. David Stone, Heaven Brown-Schuler, T.A. Cunningham, and Nigel Smith. OU right now Have is, they been able to – were those guys taking visits in the past? Or were we just not even pursuing that because we didn't have a chance? Well, exactly. That's what it was. Oklahoma would offer those guys. Those guys would never give Oklahoma the time of day, save for Gabriel Brownlow Dindy. Someone that had a personal tie or something. Exactly. Every so often you'd get lucky with that type of situation. But for the most part, and like Heaven Brownshuler and T.A. Cunningham are from Georgia. What What are their chances in pulling those guys? Very high. Really? Very high. Teddy, I'm telling you right now, there is a legitimate chance that Oklahoma winds up with the number one recruiting class in the nation in 2024. Manic. 2023 will be pretty good. 2024 will be legendary. That's awesome. Man, another three from the wing. That was in and out. He's feeling it. He's firing everything up anytime he gets his hands on the ball. Well, that I mean, that's that's awesome. What's the what's the prospects on the kid that reclassified the five star D lineman from 23 to 22? I I'm saying it's too close to call on that one. Too early to call. He's gonna take his final official visit. 
with OU at the spring game. So that will be his fifth and final official. From uh, for all schools or his fi- like has he taken an official to OU he's, yet? No, he's in the process of taking his officials. So gotcha. he, he just did Oregon, he's going to do Georgia, he's going to do Ohio State and he's going to do Texas A&M. He's going to wrap up the five officials with OU on April 23rd and then he's going to make his decision after that. So the thing about recruiting is that oftentimes the school that gets the chance to make the final impression has a bit of a leg up. It's going to be OU or A&M. That's what it'll be. And what makes you worried about OU being in that battle is that obviously A&M just assembled the greatest recruiting class in the history of recruiting classes. I think that helps OU. I think it does too. But there's, you know... <laughs> Here's my I, I don't, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on that. No, but. you don't have to get – everyone knows what you're saying. We're talking NIL here is is what we're alluding to, right? Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I think that if it's between OU and A&M, all right, here's all I'll say is I don't think he – I don't know anything about him. I can't even – I don't even know his name at this point. <laughs> what's, what's his name? L.T. Overton. That's right. Um, here's what – like just as viewing it from the outside guys want to go somewhere especially whenever you see like the current situation at Oklahoma like there's a there's the changing of the guard right there's a there's a, a flipping of the narrative and i think that think it's probably starting to get out between recruits and and you know um you know people that cover it that Oklahoma's going to have some really big things. They're going to do some really good things in the future. And to be to have the opportunity to be the tip of the spear for that is big time. Or you can go to Texas A&M and you can be one of the four five-star defensive linemen they brought in. And just be absorbed up by that class and really not stick out much at all. But you go to Oklahoma, be the first five-star defensive lineman they've had in over a decade. And while you're sensing the the turning of things there, and uh, you you can tell it's different. Like people can tell that it's different in the conversations that people are having and the the remarks that you're hearing from recruits whenever they are done with their official at Oklahoma is has been an extremely positive. So I don't that's why like and forget like doesn't even have to be Oklahoma. I just don't think usually you see a lot of five stars want to get swallowed up in a massive class of other five like if there was three two five star wide receivers, a five star quarterback and a five star corner, we're talking something different to go to a five-star defensive lineman. But when they've already got, what, three five-star defensive linemen on that group, the opportunity to stand out is massively diminished. So I, I think that – and that may not be a factor at all, but that's like the way that I view the thing. And that's a big bonus, in my opinion, for Oklahoma's side. So, all right, quick timeout. More coming up. Final hour rolls on. Stay tuned. All right, back with you here, final hour of the rush. Last segment in studio for Teddy before he's got to get on the road for the huddle tonight. We'll get him on the phone line 
as we get ready to close out the show. But, uh, no, Teddy, back to the recruiting conversation. Um, I, I agree with you 100% as far as the LT Overton situation and the reality that you're, you're really just another face in the crowd at Texas A&M, even if you right. are as good as you are. I also think it works in Oklahoma's favor that LT Overton's father played at Oklahoma in the 90s. So right. there's a familial connection there. Well, he was and an offensive lineman? Off, when de- defensive was lineman. Was a defensive lineman? Okay. But it was I when believe. Gundy was there, correct? Yes. Yes, so they were teammates there. So that works in OU's favor. Here's, here's where I stand on it. I think if he takes the visit to Oklahoma, he will be a Sooner. And the reason I say that is because Texas A&M knows as well as anybody that this battle is between them and Oklahoma. And so when he takes his official visit to Texas A&M, I promise you, they will do everything in their power to get him to commit on the spot and cancel the plans to go to Norman for his official visit. Now, there's a chance they pull that off. Mm -hmm. There's always a chance, and we see this all the time when guys schedule out multiple official visits. Sometimes they'll go to a place, it feels like home, the coaching staff expresses that they want them to be part of their program and that they want them to help be a future leader of the locker room and a leader of this particular recruiting class, and they'll shut everything down. And that's what Texas A&M is going to try to do because I think they realize that they're kind of behind the eight ball if LT Overton decides to take the official visit with Oklahoma. Because with as many connections as OU has in that regard – if that ends up being his final official, particularly with the pomp and circumstance that's going to accompany the spring game at OU. Right. Well, why do you think it just so happened to be that Oklahoma was scheduled last? I mean, if I'm being honest with you, Teddy, I think it's because that's where he wants to be. Right. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know if it was like he's going to several schools, spring game, and that's just kind of how the the dates fell or – um, if it was a, uh, like, did that on purpose, scheduled it that way on purpose. Now, I will say, the OU staff angled to make that his last official. They worked sure. very hard. I'm sure to, everyone did. Yeah. They worked very hard to make sure that his last OV was going to be to Oklahoma. And it just so happened that April 23 is the spring game. It all works out very nicely. Right. And that's going to be a big weekend of visitors, I would imagine. Probably not as big as the weekend they're poised to have on the 26th, though. That may be one of the biggest recruiting weekends that any school across the country has this offseason. Really? I, it is interesting, though. I mean, think about it. When you're in, like, being a part of a recruiting class is only something that matters to a high school kid. Exactly. As soon as you're on campus, the fact that you are part of some big recruiting class is could not be more meaningless. It it's it's like it's the most meaningless thing ever. But at the at the current time when you're in high school, it's a big factor. But um, like imagine that pitch you got to come be a part of the biggest, you know, recruiting class of all time. Wait, it's already the biggest recruiting class of all time, so what happens if I join it? Well, it's still the biggest recruiting class of all time. That it just doesn't it 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 shouldn't make a difference, but I feel like something like that does. Now, Oklahoma finished the twenty two rankings according to to two four seven. I guess it's the composite. They were number eight. 
What would landing a five-star defensive tackle move them up to? Seven. It would move them up to seven. It'd bump them ahead of Notre Dame? Yep. Nice. So, not not a huge – like, in terms of rankings, not a huge gain there. But in terms of bringing in your first five-star defensive recruit since Caleb Kelly in 2016, that's the kind of addition that will signal the dawn of the new era for Brent Venables and the Oklahoma staff. That's what's going to rep- that's that's what's going to put the rest of the nation on notice because sure they closed strong picking up guys like R. Mason Thomas and Kevonte Henry and Jamarian Burt late in the 2022 cycle. But those guys don't move the needle nearly as much as somebody like LT Overton. Well, yeah, it's just the you talk about putting people on notice. Venables hadn't coached a game yet is as what been here for a little over three months or just at three months, something like that. And he already got the first five-star defensive tackle since 2010 or something like that. It's been a while. It's been a long time. Um, that's huge. It's, that's, that means something. Hasn't gotten the five-star defensive tackle since the last time Brent Venables was here. There's a correlation, I would say, right? So, I don't know. That would be, that would be amazing. They've been on a drought, a definite drought. And it yeah. looked like Gabriel Brown Ladindi was going to be the one to end that drought. And <laughs> lo and behold, he ends up where of all places? Texas A&M. Yeah. So, and again, it's it's one of those things where if the old staff had stayed in place, you were going to keep Gabriel Brown Lodindi. Right. So, that drought was ending one way or another. Are you sure but, about that? Yes. Yes. They would have gotten him. They would have they would have kept Gabriel Brown Lodindi's commitment. Yes. Huh. In fact, the second that they got the call that Calvin Thibodeau was not being retained was the second that he decided to flip to Texas A&M. Gotcha. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. Because gotcha. he, he, he was all in on Oklahoma and had been for a long time, but it was very relationship-driven. And a lot of those relationships went out the window with the great exodus. Yeah, it, it's it's fascinating, though. That was the main reason, but... And I know he didn't go to another, uh, you know, Power Five conference school, but you didn't follow that relationship. Well, it's it's interesting. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure, sure Texas A&M was uh, very persuasive, so to speak, whenever it it came to influencing that decision. But I don't know. It'd still be awesome if they're able to land a five star defensive lineman in that in the 22 class. That's great. And the 23 class, as you mentioned, is already shaping up. And it, it looks like the the staff that he put together defensively is – Venables brings so much credibility. But the guys that he has installed in some of those positions are the, at least appear to be outstanding recruiters, right? And they are. Yeah. Todd Bates is that dude. People are going to find out very quickly just how good of a recruiter Todd Bates is. I keep hearing uh, so many good things about Chavis as a recruiter too, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is you know mm-hmm. pretty good. That Chavis, that, like a lot of people, scratch their heads when that hire was made, right? Because they naturally were like, who, "Well, who on earth is Miguel Chavis?" Right. Never been an on-field coach before at the collegiate level. 
was an off-field staffer at Clemson. Why is he being hired as the defensive ends coach at the University of Oklahoma? And the people that were asking that question and still are asking that question, they're going to find out real quick here why Miguel Chavis was hired because that dude can recruit like nobody's business. I'll tell you what's crazy. Gonzaga's about to win this game against Georgia State. Um, it was like 56 to 58 with 10 minutes to go, 10 or 11 minutes to go. And Gonzaga ripped off about 40 points or so. They're up 93-70 over Georgia State. I mean, went on an absolute tear and took over that basketball game. Yeah, that's what Gonzaga will do. Pretty impressive. That's the reason they're the number one overall seed. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. A couple of more segments remaining. I'm about to join via cell phone as I head over to Rudy's to do the huddle tonight. Myself, Caleb Kelly, Christopher Plank. That's going to be fun, but uh, stay tuned. We'll keep going. Just a couple of minutes, and I'll be joining on cell phone. Awesome. Always love joining on cell phone. It sounds, sounds amazing on radio. We'll be back. Stay tuned. Winding down here on The Rush. Parker Thune here in studio with you. We'll be rejoined by Teddy Lehman in just a moment. He is now officially en route to Rudy's Barbecue for the huddle. He'll be on the phone line in just a second. But right now, we are joined by Brady Sexton of Scratch Kitchen over on Main Street. Brady, thanks for being willing to jump on with us here for just a couple minutes. And uh, heard the promo just a couple minutes ago about the Scratch Cocktail of the Week. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, thanks. We just wanted to, um, you know, there's every week there's something going on in sports. And every week, everyone should be looking for a new cocktail to try. At least that's my opinion. So we thought we'd just jump on every week and uh, post a recipe to something great. Um, you can get the ingredients at the spirit shop. You can come by scratch and try the cocktail if you don't want to make it at home. But either way, just trying to expand cocktail culture as much as we can, even even now as I'm in Isla Mujeres right now. Um, so many options for the cocktail of the week with St. Patrick's Day and with uh, uh, March Madness. We'll get to a cocktail March Madness base next week, but I thought this week, why not go with, uh, you know, something to celebrate the OU softball team and their amazing weekend in Hawaii last weekend. So what is the cocktail of the week? Do tell. The Mai Tai. So it's a tiki classic, uh, not originally from Hawaii, but made famous in the 1961 movie Blue Hawaii with Elvis Presley. Um, And kind of just tiki culture in general was really located in just a few cities, San Francisco and some other places in California. Um, back in the 50s, and uh, but where you can kind of, it's identified with Hawaii now, uh, mostly. So the Mai Tai with rum or Jot syrup, which is an almond-based syrup, um, really hard to make. We will give the recipe to anyone that wants it. It's very difficult, but the Spirit Shop has three different options for sale on the shelves. So you can go buy that syrup already made and make the cocktail, which we'll post on the Facebook page, or you guys will post on your Facebook page. And for those looking to pair their cocktail with a meal, Brady, what would you recommend over there at Scratch? Ooh, with the Mai Tai, come in on a Tuesday and get our tiki tacos for just two bucks. Um, other than that, any the pulled pork nachos, um, really kind of a sweet, savory, because they're barbecue sauce, smoked pork, um, sweet and savory kind of nacho dish would go great with the Mai Tai. But I'm really excited to do this once a week with you guys, and just I really want people to start drinking cocktails. You know, cocktail culture is not about um, drunkenness culture. It's not about binge drinking culture. It's about drinking the really, really good stuff, the fine stuff. Um, in moderation, responsibly, drink like adults. I like to tell 
everyone, including my kids. So that's what we want to do. Outstanding. And before we let you go here, Brady, the uh, the question that everyone's dying to know the answer to, who do you have in the final four of your NCAA tournament bracket? Oh, man, because I was traveling to Isla Mujeres in the last few days, I can't remember who I put on my bracket. I know I have a big upset. I think I had San Francisco going quite a ways. I don't think it's the final four, but almost there. But, man, I got Gonzaga winning it all. It's just they seem to be a little bit above everybody else. But, I mean, who's most? I'm most excited about Saturday and the, and the Sooners. I mean, or Saturday with the women's Sooners and Sunday with the, the men's Sooners. That's what I'm excited about anyway. Yeah, no doubt. Well, your bracket is still intact because Gonzaga did survive a run <laughs> from Georgia State, 93-72 to 72 the final in that game. Bulldogs pulled away late. So they preserve their hopes of a national title run by advancing to the round of 32. Brady, thanks so much for jumping on, and we'll talk to you again next week. Awesome. Can't wait. You guys have a good one. That is Brady Sexton of Scratch Kitchen. We're going to be right back to wrap up the rush with Teddy Lehman on the phone next. Stay with us. All right, back to wrap it up here on the rush. And we are now joined via the wonders of technology by Teddy Lehman, who is en route to the huddle, as we mentioned last segment. Uh, Teddy, are you as ready and willing to declare war on Highway 9 as Mike Steely is? Because I swear every time Highway 9 gets brought up on the airwaves, Steely is immediately willing to decry it as the worst driving experience in America. It can be. Fortunately, today, it was joyous. Not a lot of traffic out there on Highway 9 at the moment. Uh, A rare occasion. Usually, at this time of the day, it could be torturous, but it was a very pleasant driving experience today. No complaints. And I'll tell you, I'm usually with Steely. I can complain about everything and typically do, but today, not bad. So what is, I, I'm curious to know, uh, your, all of your listeners probably know this, but I don't because this is exactly my second time on the air with you. So what is your, uh, what is your standard when you go to a barbecue joint? I usually get some type of two or three combo ribs. Um, brisket of some type, and uh, depending on what the other options are, maybe a hot meat, maybe uh, maybe chicken or turkey. Usually a three meat combo. And a fried. Give me the fried open. Anything else? Don't really care. I got you. that. That sounds like a lot of food, Teddy. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of food. That sounds like a that truly sounds like a linebacker's diet right there. And I do, typically, I'd rather order too much than not enough. So the menu usually grabs the eyeballs, and uh, I order way more than I'm, uh, I'm capable of eating. That is a problem I have. But the beauty of it, I love leftovers. Yeah, well, and barbecue makes good leftovers because not that hard to pop it in the microwave and uh... – have a little have a little brisket sandwich or whatever the case may be the next day. But uh, hey, what's it been like working alongside Caleb Kelly uh, with the huddle? Obviously, a he's guy done, that is no. Go ahead, go ahead. No, no, you, he's done a really good job. I mean, obviously, there's a ton of personality there. He's incredibly smart. Was a fantastic football player. Um, so it the transition has been very easy for him. He's easy going. Um, very well spoken. I 
I, I think he's been fantastic to work with. Uh, work with. I, I, uh, I can't say enough good things about him. He, he's done an excellent job. He's got like two or I think he's got two master's degrees, and maybe he's about to complete a third, a couple of uh, bachelor degrees. He's a, a really, really put together young man. Um, he accomplished way more at the University of Oklahoma. Um, academically than I ever could have imagined uh, as a football player. So he's, he's fantastic. He's, um, I think he's got some really big things in store in the future. I know he's, he's slid into a nice role here for Brent Venables, and I think it's just the beginning because he's capable, capable of, of a bunch of different roles here with, with the team. So Caleb Kelly and Mark Sanchez, your two favorite up-and-comers in the broadcasting community, right? Yeah, that's right. Mark Sanchez, um, who would have ever thought, but I do like what, what he's done a lot. And, I, yeah, Caleb Kelly, man, I, I see an expanded role for him, and he can choose whatever avenue he wants, whether it's behind the scenes uh, as a part of the football program, if it's maybe uh, an on-the-field role or something like that. I think he's capable of that. And if he wants to branch off and, and go the media route, there's no doubt he's got some skills there. And he's also got a lot of opportunities in the business world because of uh, the connections and, and all of the degrees that he's, he's been able to um, to acquire since he went to Oklahoma. The guy's got a million options, which is what we all want when we step away from college, right? Exactly. All right, Teddy. Go enjoy some barbecue. We'll do this again tomorrow at 3 p.m. on The Rush. All right, brother. Take it easy, man. It's been fun. All right. Teddy Lehman signing off from somewhere on Highway 9. And as we get ready to close out The Rush, quick recap of everything that has happened in the NCAA tournament today, at least up until this point. Michigan got the day started off with a 75-63 to victory over six-seeded Colorado State. Technically an upset in all honesty, really not that much of an upset if you have paid any attention to the type of basketball program that Michigan has had over the last several years under Juwan Howard. They rally from a 15-point first-half deficit to knock off the Rams. 75-63 the final there. Providence held off a late charge from 13th-seeded South Dakota State to win 66-57. Penny Hardaway in Memphis got the victory over Boise State 64-53. Baylor... The first one seed to hit the floor in this tournament prevailed over Norfolk State, 85-49. Tennessee dispatches Longwood, 88-56. And then we got the biggest upset of the tournament to date, Richmond over Iowa. The 12-seeded Spiders, who had to have it in the Atlantic 10 tournament if they wanted to go dancing. They won the A-10, and they win their first-round matchup over what was a red-hot Hawkeyes team, 67-63, the final there. We mentioned it last hour here on The Rush. Gonzaga got all they could handle for about 30 minutes of that basketball game against 16-seeded Georgia State, but the Bulldogs do pull away in the end. 93-72 to is the final there. And then how about Brady Manick and the North Carolina Tar Heels? Manick leads the way 28 points for Prairie Larry himself, the pride of Hera, Oklahoma, and the Tar Heels dispatch Marquette 95 to 63 that brings you up to speed thus far with all the action in the NCAA tournament St. Peter's and Kentucky set to tip off in about 10 minutes that is going to do it for this installment of the rush for Teddy Lehman I'm Parker Thune y'all have a fantastic rest of your Thursday and we'll be back tomorrow 
right here once again across the Ref Sports Radio Network here for The Rush from 3 to 6 p.m. We'll see you then.